So we're beginning our first parable in our new series as we look at these profound messages from God's Word, and they make sense to us practically and personally. Parables are designed to draw our eyes and our hearts to heaven. That's the purpose of them. And Jesus used parables to somewhat shift gears in his own ministry. He used them as a transition piece as he moved deeper into his ministry in his time on earth. And they were designed to draw people into knowing him and to understand more about the kingdom of grace that God sent him to reveal. Now, earlier on in his ministry, Jesus taught a lot from the Old Testament, and that made sense in his culture. It made sense because the people lived within the practices and the Old Testament prescribed that they had sacrifices and, and festivals. There are purification laws and all kinds of things that they did. And those were designed to reveal God to them in a different way. They were designed to bring them deeper into obedience as God's chosen people. And it's not that such things are bad, but they are not enough. They're incomplete. You see, they didn't affect the heart. And if you've ever worked somewhere where you were passionate about what you did, or you were on a sports team or part of a club or an organization, this might make sense to you. There's someone who maybe you work alongside of, or worse yet, someone who might be an authority over you and a boss. And they're one of those people that expect you to get everything perfectly, to get everything right. Maybe you've had a, a coworker or a boss or a coach or someone like that. And I don't think anyone enjoys living that way, working that way, operating that way. In fact, it can ruin the experience for someone. There's no way you want to do that. If you have the opportunity, you move to a different team or give up being a part of that organization. And whenever possible, people stuck in those for long enough will even look for a different job. We don't like to live in those crushing kind of circumstances in our lives, and we don't enjoy them. And Jesus came to change that paradigm spiritually for God's people, beyond the flawedness of human obedience and the aggressiveness of, we're going to get this perfect. Jesus, being God, understood that people didn't live that way. They didn't operate that way. In fact, in Matthew 5:17, he reminded them he's there to complete the Old Testament promises, those Old Testament paradigms. He said, do, don't think that I came to abolish the law or the prophets. I did not come to abolish it, but to fulfill it. And yet the people in Jesus' day, they didn't understand that. The religious leaders, the spiritual leaders, they didn't understand at all the spiritual life that he came to offer. They got the rules and they liked the rules. They liked demanding that other people obey the rules. But they didn't understand. They didn't have the spiritual sensitivity and awareness to understand the spiritual kingdom Jesus offered, the new life, the mercy, the redemption, and the hope that came with it. They didn't understand the heart of God. It's funny because even in our world today, in the midst of this COVID-19 crisis, people like rules, people like the structure, and yet at the same time as we're seeing People don't. In the end, rules can help us define things, and they are important. But the principle, the heart of something, 
the value deep down. It has to touch our spirit to have a lasting transformation in our life, to make a lasting difference in us. It has to be more than just obeying the rules. In every situation in life, because we are spiritual beings who are broken by sin, we struggle to understand right and wrong. That's one of the effects of sin from the fall in the Garden of Eden. We struggle to really discern what matters and how to live as broken people. We all know it's hard for us. People in Jesus' day struggled just as we do. And that's why he came. That's what we just celebrated a few weeks ago at Easter. That's why he taught in these parables. Because people struggled with the rules. They struggled with the boundaries. And they struggled even more with the spiritual things that were deeper and more profound. So as people move from attempt after attempt, they can get frustrated. They can get worn down. And they struggle to see who God is and what he is asking them to do with their lives. We struggle with that in our own lives, in every stage of our life, let alone in difficult circumstances. That's why we're honing in. That's why we're going to focus in on God's word in these parables, because parables take these everyday life situations and they make them real. They teach us profound spiritual knowledge about who God is and what God's relationship with us, what it means for our lives, how it changes our lives, how it transforms them. Parables are everyday stories that reveal the truth of God, the spiritual truth we need, that we hunger for, and how it reveals to us, how it becomes real to us as everyday people. Now, there's about 40 parables in the Bible, and they're all contained in Matthew, Mark, and Luke. John is written in somewhat of a different format, so there are no parables in the book of John. And as I said, Jesus uses these to shift gears in his own ministry. If you were to look somewhere, for example, like Matthew 13, you would see there that Jesus says, I'm going to begin using these parables. There's a a shift there. I'm going to begin to reveal the depth of the kingdom of God, that kingdom of grace, to the people God is calling. And Jesus acknowledges that other people aren't going to understand them. And this becomes his chief way of teaching after he's already used these Old Testament examples. He's already taught at the Sermon on the Mount and given some guidelines and given some standards and some, frankly, laws, some expectations. And yet he begins to use these stories, these profound spiritual stories to teach. And they're powerful because they do bring heaven to earth and they reveal who God is and what it means for us. And Jesus, of course, being the second part of the Trinity, being God, we see more of who Jesus is in these parables. And that's important for us. That's really something that can change us, especially in days like we're living in now. We need a little more of who Jesus is in our lives because that will change us in the depths of our being, in our spirits. So let's begin looking at God's Word today. We're going to go to Luke chapter 15, verses 1 through 7, and we're going to look at the parable of the Good Shepherd. So let's read. If you have a copy of God's Word, you can do that, or you can take a look at the Version app. Uh, you can pull that up, that sidebar on the page there, if you want to connect in God's Word that way, if you're watching us on the live stream. So Luke chapter 15, verses 1 through 7. 
All the tax collectors and sinners were approaching to listen to him. And the Pharisees and the scribes were complaining, This man welcomes sinners and eats with them. So he told them this parable. What man among you, who has a hundred sheep and loses one of them, does not leave the ninety-nine in the open field, and go after the lost one until he finds it? When he has found it, he joyfully puts it on his shoulders and comes home. He calls his friends and neighbors together, saying to them, Rejoice with me, because I have found my lost sheep. I tell you, in the same way, there will be more joy in heaven over one sinner who repents than over the ninety-nine righteous people who don't need repentance. This is God's holy word. Now, the situation is laid out clearly for us, what Jesus is dealing with in this passage. He's connecting with the people. He's speaking to them. And that means he's connecting to all the people. Everyone, as the great Brooks and Dunsong says, outlaws, in-laws, crooks and straights. He's reaching out and all the people are coming to hear him. That means the good people, the good religious folks, at least they think they are, like the Pharisees and the rough people. In fact, we believe here he's probably speaking about this. He's talking, he's eating dinner at Matthew, at Levi's house. Matthew's become one of his disciples. And he was a tax collector. And so they have this paradigm. They already have this idea in place. They don't like that Jesus is eating with these people. He's associating with them. The good, the bad, the rough, and the tumble. They all come to meet Jesus, to hear Jesus. The stories he tells, these parables. And the Pharisees don't like who is coming to have this spiritual instruction from these stories. They don't like what's being said in the atmosphere that it's creating. The people are reacting positively to what Jesus is preaching. They don't like it at all. So we see here in verse 2, and the Pharisees and scribes were complaining. This man welcomes sinners and eats with them. And obviously to these religious types, this is a problem. Now we get no indication that Jesus is saying to them, Okay, come here as you are and leave as you were. He's not looking at their lives and seeing that they're in violation of God's truth. And of course, in that culture, that would be the Old Testament. He's not looking at their lives and telling them that whatever they want to do that goes against the clear heart of God and the teaching they already have from the Old Testament and God's word. He's not saying, hey, that's okay. He's not saying anything like that. And... In fact, he's not telling them that they should stay the way they are at all. He's drawing them in because he wants to transform lives. God's truth, God's word, it's something we need to be a part of. We need to take it in. We need to read it because God will use it by the power of the Spirit to transform our lives. That's what it's meant to do. That's what it's designed to do. That's why we say everything in God's word, it's all we need. God's Spirit will use it to show us where we're out of line with God with his heart, where we're going to get hurt. In fact, this parable is going to teach us a little bit about that. But these Pharisees, these religious teachers, they don't like this at all. They don't like anything they're hearing. And today, as we look at what God says in this parable, we learn more about Jesus and who he is in his heart. And we learn a little bit about the religious leaders and where their heart is, of course. 
Because knowing God's heart is what changes us. Knowing God's word, it's what changes us. And the Pharisees, they don't know God's heart. They don't get it. They don't understand. And they're here saying in no uncertain terms, this kind of teaching, this kind of love that you're talking about, it's not for those people. And they make no bones about it. Jesus, you shouldn't even associate with them. And he, they, tell him that they tell Jesus this at different times in his ministry. And yet Jesus is doing far more here than just associating with them. He's welcoming them. He's welcoming them. And as we've talked about in the past, in this culture, in this culture where Jesus lived, to welcome someone in for a meal, for a meal it's not a casual thing particularly the people Jesus was welcoming in. Matthew or Levi, that former tax collector, and the rest of the disciples, for all of them to sit down, for Jesus to sit down and to eat a meal was to treat them like family. It's funny, I use that Brooks and Dunn song as a joke, but if you grew up in a country atmosphere, you understand when someone invites you down to the family table, and in different cultures we see this around the world, but for us here in America, there's something about that when you're invited into that country table, that kind of the farmhouse kitchen where people treat you like family. I had family that grew up and lived on farms. And when you ate at that table, there's something about it. From the first moment you're there, you're like family. And the religious people don't like how Jesus is treating these other people, how he is connecting with them, the depth of that relationship and bodies forming like family. So Jesus, he responds to this. He responds to it clearly with this parable. And here's what he says. Look at verse 4. What man among you who has a hundred sheep and loses one of them does not leave the ninety-nine in the open field and go after the lost one until he finds it? So Jesus responds to them with a rhetorical question. It's a question, it's a story that made sense to the audience, to everyone, the whole spectrum of Jewish society, they understood how shepherds operated. Being a shepherd was a historical thing. It wasn't a popular job by any sense in Jesus' day, but there was a historical connection. And they all understood who shepherds were. And we'll talk a little bit. King David, of course, had started out as a shepherd. They understood shepherds. So in their culture, we need a few clues to understand this, this story in its fullness. In their culture... A shepherd would often count his sheep at night to make sure all of them were there. Now, if a shepherd had a little bigger, uh, we'll say that they had a, a larger spread and a larger operation, they may have had other shepherds or guards, the, uh, the pasture owner, kind of like a rancher or someone like that, would have folks who worked for them, and they would all bring in the sheep at night into, into the, the closed area, the pens where they would protect them from the wild animals. And, of course, they would count them as they as they came in. Now you remember, we talked about King David a minute ago, and whenever Samuel comes to anoint God's chosen king for Israel to replace Saul, David, the, the least counted of the brothers, he was left out in the field because he had that hardest, that lowest, that difficult job. He was protecting the sheep as the sun goes, went down. It was dinner time, and overnight, he had that watch out with the sheep. And he talks later as he Meet Saul later, he says, yeah, I, I kill wild animals to protect the sheep with my sling and stone as he prepares to meet with Goliath. So it was an important thing that shepherds always did. They protected the flock. They took great care 
And here the, uh, the flock described is a pretty bare bones operation. It's a, a humble operation, a hundred sheep. In that culture, if you had, say, more than 300 sheep, you were considered uh, someone on your way up. And people would have flocks, sometimes a thousand, several thousand sheep. They would be very wealthy, very successful. But most shepherds would, if they were getting their start, they wanted to get 50, 80, 100 sheep. And, of course, because it was a smaller operation, they'd have to do everything themselves. And they took care of those sheep, and everyone was valuable to them because it, it was their whole life. Shepherds loved their sheep. So when a sheep would wander away from the shepherd's care, it was a big deal. It was important. So the shepherd loves them. And when they wander off, he goes out. He'll leave the other sheep out in the open field, in the open pasture, not because he didn't care about those other sheep, but that one sheep, every one of those sheep was so important to them, equally important to him. The shepherd goes off. And he seeks out that sheep, but they're out in the field. They're in an open field. They have the freedom to wander. And for us in the spiritual depth of this, we understand that God is a God of love and he's there to shepherd us and attend us and make sure we don't wander off. But we're free. We're free to go our own way. And so let's think about this a little deeper. Sheep are great metaphors for us because though they were free, they like us are are dumb. They're unaware, they're foolish creatures, never understanding how much danger they can put themselves in when they wander away. Yet God is the shepherd, and of course we get the metaphor here, God loves us and he respects us, he treasures us, God treasures you. Now why do we say that? Because God loves you so much that like the shepherd in the story, he comes to rescue us from those dangers. Perhaps it doesn't seem flattering to be described as a sheep, and sheep, if you've ever worked with them, they're not the brightest animals. But it makes sense because we understand danger and how our choices have consequences. I'm sure you do understand that in your life. Now, when I was younger, I worked on a ski patrol at a ski resort, and, and I loved doing that job. And people knew right away I was on the ski patrol. We had red jackets, and it had the, the big white cross on the back that said National Ski Patrol. And even when I wasn't wearing that vest and later when I was married and wasn't a ski patroller anymore, I would uh, have that, I wouldn't wear that vest, but maybe I'd still have a red jacket on from time to time. And people would see me and wave at me because maybe they knew I had done that. And, but when I was a ski patroller, I had that vest on. And either way, I had a walkie-talkie, a vest, a backpack. I didn't look like everybody else out there skiing. And that was by design so people could spot you if they had an emergency. But you know how many people would talk to us about where they should and should not ski and what they should and should not do before they had a problem? Well, if you guessed a big fat zero, you were correct. Nobody came until somebody was in danger or someone was injured. They'd come running over. They basically ignored us the rest of the time, but they'd come over and say, help, help, we need you right away. And of course, at that moment, ski patrollers have to be able to ski faster and even ski uphill in some circumstances or use snowmobiles, they had trails that cut between that were get us places faster and we'd ski as fast as we can over to where that one person had put themselves in peril, in danger. And we'd ski over as fast as we could to help them. And maybe they were hurt and they were stuck, they couldn't get back on their own. So we'd had sleds that we could put them behind a snowmobile, but in a lot of cases they'd be somewhere they were out of bounds where they knew they shouldn't be. And you couldn't even take a snowmobile where they were. So we'd go over 
and we'd have to carry them out carefully, tend to the injuries they have, and we'd put them on a sled, and we'd actually ski down the hill with them behind us. We had to practice and get training to do that. We would ski down to take them to safety, back to where they should have been all along. Now, I know that seems a little silly, but much like a shepherd, when someone was in need, when someone was missing, we dropped everything to go after them to make sure that they would come back and be safe where they were. Now, no one saw the need until the danger was obvious or when they were encircled by the danger, and that's how sheep were back in that day, until the wild animals surrounded them, till they were off in a cliff or they'd fallen in a ravine and got injured. The sheep didn't know that they needed the shepherd. They, they didn't understand that. And yet Jesus reminds us here that like the good shepherd, he's the one that he is the good shepherd, and like a shepherd in his day, he was there to do one thing. And that was to rescue, to rescue the sheep from danger and to guide them back to the safety of the fold. This idea of rescue, it makes sense to us. This is the heart of God we were talking about earlier. We are going to see this idea of rescue in these parables come up over and over again. And there's something powerful here for us to catch God has come to rescue us in that deeper sense, that spiritual sense that Jesus is teaching from sin, from death, and from darkness. Think about your own life and what you're facing today with everything going on in the world this month or what you worry about that's coming in the days to come or maybe it's what you've already faced in the past, things that feel impossible, maybe things that are coming up that feel painful and uncertain. There may be real danger, real difficulty. And so even now, as I'm talking about this, you may think to yourself, you know what, God, I need rescue. Take a moment today, whether it's after this or even during this, to jot down or type on a phone or a different device. Write down things today that you need rescued from in your own life, in the circumstances you're facing circumstances you have faced, or things you see on the horizon. Maybe the danger is just becoming evident to you in your life, and you need rescue. And know here, just as we're reading, God wants you to be rescued from those things. He longs to rescue you from those things. Write those down. Even if it's something you're embarrassed about, no one knows about, write it down in code or something. But think about those things that God, you know, maybe God's bringing something to your mind right now. You need rescued, and God longs to rescue you from those things. Jesus clearly illustrates that. He's come to rescue us. That's why he's here on earth, to save us. Consider Luke 19, 10. Jesus says clearly in this passage, For the Son of Man has come to seek and save the lost. Spiritually, emotionally, relationally, in every way, as sinful people, we don't know right from wrong. We don't know where we're going, and we can feel so lost. We don't realize we need rescued. In fact, sometimes we think quite the opposite. I think that's what the Pharisees felt like in Jesus' story. You know, if back to the silly skiing analogy I use, if you're a skier, this will make sense to you. Do you know when most skiers get hurt? When most skiers are injured? It's the final run of the day. You've been skiing all day. 
you're a little worn down, you're tired. There's this mixture of things, fatigue, timing, and overconfidence that all contribute to injuries on the ski slopes. And ski patrollers are taught this right away. It's just, it's something you know. Later in the day, that later shift, you know that you're probably going to be busy. People have been skiing all day and they think, I know my way around. Sure, the trails are a little banged up because people have been skiing on them. It's getting colder, it's getting icy, but I know what I'm doing. In fact, I'm pretty much an expert at all of this right now. Now, the ski patrol, we start sometimes early in the morning. We get what's called first tracks. We're the first ones on the, the slopes after they've been groomed all night, and the snow is beautiful, and the sun is out, and it's just the way it needs to be. God, in the same way, he knows how the world was made to be. He remembers before sin, before death and darkness, how perfect it was meant to be. But we, we've never known a world without sin, without brokenness. And God says, you don't even know the danger you're in. You actually may confidently think, I've navigated my life pretty well. I've overcome so many things in my life. And there's no sin lurking around the corner. There's no difficulty that... I'm going to face, maybe someone else will cause some sin, but not me. I've got it together. Do you see how the Pharisees might have felt that way? That's the nature of sin. It deceives us into thinking that we're not a dumb sheep, that we're not somebody at risk. That's not the way it is. Look at verses 5 and 6. That good shepherd, he comes for us to rescue us when he sees the danger and we don't. Verses 5 and 6, when he has found it, found the sheep, he joyfully puts it on his shoulders and coming home, he calls his friends and neighbors together saying to them, rejoice with me because I have found my lost sheep. Jesus as the shepherd, God wants us to understand. God's heart and mind is represented by that shepherd. Jesus has come to embody the heart of God for us. And God's heart is this that we should be rescued and that we should allow ourselves to be rescued. Allow God to pick us up and put us on his shoulders and carry us out of the danger to heal us and to put us back on the path of righteousness where we belong. That's what Jesus has come to do. God is passionate about rescuing us. And so as God's people, we should be passionate about being a part of that in our own lives, leading people to rescue in Jesus Christ. I would say that for all of us, we have a calling to do that. And we should throw a party. That should be our heart. That's what God is teaching us there. One sheep being found. It's not just a little private party like, hey, good job. We'll go through the drive-thru on our way home. No, he calls all of his friends and neighbors and says, look, look what happens. And we're going to see this heart of God, again, illustrated over and over in these parables. This is what God is passionate about, to go out and to rescue, to bring us off, even though all of us, all of us as dumb sheep, we miscalculate our own lives, our own choices, our own goodness, our own strength, our character, our wisdom, whatever it is, we think we've got it together. And time and time again, we don't see the danger. And God says, even when you wander off, I'm going to bring you back. Jesus, as the shepherd, the one sheep comes back. And there's not a lecture like the Pharisees would have. 
there's a celebration. Verse 7, Jesus brings this rhetorical question to the Pharisees back around about the celebration. I tell you, in the same way, there will be more joy in heaven over one sinner who repents than over 99 righteous people who don't need repentance. You see, if you really know the God, God's heart, you're celebrating already. You see, the Pharisees, they don't get it. And Jesus says, if you get God's heart, this is what it's all about. You're going to come out and be a part of that celebration. You want to be in that party. Let that sink in. Jesus sees these religious folks, and they're angry that the rough and rowdy sinners are there to hear what Jesus has come to share, the heart of God, that he is there to rescue sinners, to seek and to save the lost, and that all of heaven rejoices when one who is far from God repents. And what that means is they see their sin for what it is, for the destruction and danger it is, and they turn away from it, and they want to go back towards God. They don't want to go away. They want to go where God has them to go, back in the safety of the pen. They want to run towards safety. Or more precisely, it means that God picks them up while they're still sinners, places them on his shoulders, and carries us to safety when we're so lost, so tired, and so afraid, or so hurt that we cannot even move, let alone know which way it's safe to go. Sheep need shepherding. And maybe today in the midst of what we're facing, you feel like that. Jesus says, I'm the good shepherd. He says that we have a calling to be like him and to lead people into that safety, to help them as he comes and picks them up. We can't be the good shepherd, but we can point to him and say, this is the one who will lead you to safety. This is the one that can help you navigate the depths of your heart and lead you into new life, into new hope, and into fullness in Him. Today, I invite you to take time and confess, to write down those things in your life. We all need to do this. The things that God's revealing in these unique days, what is God telling you that you need rescued from in your own life? Pray and make space to listen to God, what He's telling you about those things. Jot them down, pray through them this week. And take that time again to listen. Ask God to reveal where the danger is and where you can be a part of pointing to him so that others would know the good shepherd and they would be steered away from the danger. So confess, listen, and lastly, as we see in this passage, rejoice. As God leads others to safety, rejoice. As those in heaven rejoice, as we see other places in God's word, when one who is lost is found. Calling others away, pointing to the safety, living out in our lives, even in our brokenness, the reality that we're dumb sheep saved by a loving shepherd who rescues us, oftentimes even from ourselves. Celebrate and rejoice as God is leading others into new hope and a new life. I firmly believe with what's going on in our world today, there is going to be revival and that it's already beginning. God uses all these things, all the turmoil, all the uncertainty, to show us that he is the rescuer and that we are a part of that rescue mission to lead people deeper into knowing Jesus. I believe that's what God's doing in our world today. And I think that we're all called to be a part of that, to know him and to belong to him. Friends, that's our call to walk alongside our good shepherd as he rescues and to love others 
as he loves us. So this week, friends, confess, listen, and rejoice as we serve our good shepherd. Let's pray. God, that we would know what it means to belong to you, that we would know what it means to be your people, that we would learn from these parables in the weeks to come, your heart to love, to reach out, and to welcome in those who are broken, to treat them like family, and to make them part of your tribe, God, part of your people, that you would transform hearts and that we would love others, welcome them in, and live out the truth of God's world, of God's word, and perfectly in our world. In these difficult and strange days, God, use us in a mighty way to bring revival. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.